welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. How many of you avoided running into the ladder today in the lobby? Did everybody manage to avoid not running? So, so the rest of you all ran into it that aren't raising your hands? How many of you avoided missing the ladder today as you walked in? Good. See, here's, here's how that relates to today. Many of us avoid hard conversations like we avoided that ladder. <laughs> Don't we? Many of us, we avoid having those conversations that, um, that are not the most fun. And for those of us, some of us, it's not as hard because for some of us, maybe it's because we're a mature, mature person and we do it, or we're just mean and we don't like to, we don't mind just offending because there's a way of having a hard conversation and then you leave that person in the dirt. And you, anybody ever done that to you? Yeah, that's not the right way. So today, um, because I think that's, 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 those are the two main things. Some people can have the conversations and then they're just jerks. Most of us avoid the conversations and don't do anything about it. So how can we be a healthy church, have the difficult conversations when we need to have them, but both parties leave with growth? Because that's the goal. The goal is that you leave comforted and restored, not beat up and broken. So how do we do that? How can we do that as a church? And how can we be a church that creates those kind of places where criticism, critique, and confrontation can happen. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for today. God, I thank you for being a God who, Lord, you confront us in our sin. You confront us in our difficulty. You confront us in the things that we need to hear. And so, God, I ask, Lord, today that if there's some things that we need in our face, Lord, that you need to just stir up in our own hearts, that you would do so. Um, God, I ask that you would speak to us through your word, that your word would be power this morning. Um, God, it is. Your word never comes back void. So Lord, I pray that each of us would come ready to hear and receive what you, what you desire to share with us. God, I ask your blessings upon churches throughout the valley today. God, I thank you that we're not alone. God, I pray for my friend Jared over at Desert City, Dan over at Pure Heart, um, Aaron over at Jesus Church. Um, God, I, I lift up Andrew over at Cross Church this morning and bless us here at City View. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. And this morning, we, as we pick up, um, Paul now is, is talking about this difficult letter, this confrontation he had to have with the church in Corinth. And so that's where we're picking it up today, is he's talking about that letter that he wrote, this confrontation that he had. And it says there in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 this morning, first to start with. It says, therefore, having these promises, these promises he just spoke of in chapter um, 6. The promises were, I will live in you, I will be your God, I will welcome you, and I will be your father. Those are the promises that God had just said, that I, I, will, I will live in you, I will dwell in you, I will be your God, I will welcome you, I, I, I come with open arms, and I will be your father. So this is, therefore, having these promises, beloved, because of those things, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So it's okay, because of those, this verse really goes with the last chapter. Because of God's promises, he goes, let's get our hearts right. So this morning, before we move any more, any further, 
end of the message. Let's take one minute and let's just sit quietly and just say, God, if there's anything that you need to make right in my heart, do so now. So we're going to take one minute. Then Paul says in verse 2, make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in my hearts to die together and to live together. So Paul is, as he's writing this next letter, he, he had already, he's already written 1 Corinthians. He's already written this letter that we know, we know as the sorrowful letter, this letter that's confronting some sin and issues in life. Now we come to this letter that is 2 Corinthians. So he's written at least, this is his third one now. And, and he's writing them. He says, I, I do not speak to condemn. He goes, my heart, you've got to understand my heart in why I wrote the letters that I've written you. But I've spoken that, one, that your hearts might be open. My heart is open to you. You know I love you to live, to, to, get, to live together, to die together. My heart is to be with you. Paul decided that the sin that was in the church in Corinth could, could ruin everything that was going on. Sin, as at the, the first letter he wrote, was confronting the sin of a, uh, a son that was sleeping with his stepmom. He's like, that's not cool. The church was applauding it. The church was like, hey, we have grace for you. We'll welcome you. The church was accepting, and they were just like, he's like, okay, that's not good. The, or this church, they had, they had started to, to weaken the, the standards of what truth was. They started weakening, weakening the standards of, of what was okay to be preached from the stage. They started weakening what they were accepting and what they were loving. There was just this weakening of the church. They were allowing sin to creep in. He had already confronted one big sin, but they were listening to all those preachers, these preachers that were tickling their ears. And like, Paul, you're not like them. Paul, why are you going through hard times? These guys don't. These guys speak of this prosperous. This, and he's like, okay, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. They were wanting to accept everything and everyone. There's a difference between loving someone and accepting what they're doing and if it's not Okay. I can love someone and tell them that what they're doing is wrong. You see, this church was, they just had this acceptance, this misunderstanding, which I think our culture is misunderstanding love and acceptance even now. We are told that to love someone is to accept them, and that's the same thing, to love and accept. Aren't we told that? Like we're told if you don't accept someone and the choices they make and all this, then you're not loving. I'm sorry, that's, that's not true. Because there's been people that have hurt me that I may not accept them, but also love them back. We are told that if we're not accepting of all things and all people, that we're not loving people. We are told that love is love, and let people be who they want, and love what they want, and love who they want. All these thoughts come from a broken foundation of what truth is. There's two key things about truth. One, there is truth. 
There is definite truth. We can know what truth is. Truth isn't some mysterious thing that you might find out, you might learn. And truth is truth for you. I, I've told this story before. I was meeting with this, these two people, and they were, we were having this argument about same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage. And, and I was saying, this is what God's Word says. God's Word says that that's not how it works. And she says, well, that's your truth. I go, what do you mean by that? She goes, well, that's true to you, but that's not true to me. I go, what does that mean? She goes, well, I could look outside and say the sky is pink. I go, okay. She goes, you could look outside and say the sky is blue. I said, okay. She goes, so whatever's true to me is true to me, and whatever's true to you is true to you. I said, no, because if I look outside, the sky is blue. It is blue. It's literally blue right now. You can't tell me it's pink just because you want to call it pink. That's not how truth works. So number one, we can know that there is truth. Number two, two, number two, number two, Truth can be found. It's not mysterious. It's not hard to find. It can be found. The truth we need to know is that all things were created with a design and by a designer. They weren't magically made by some bolt of lightning and, or whatever, like something. It was not made by evolution. I know we're taught that. It was not made by some mysterious bang. The bang was God said, let there be light, and bang, it happened. That's the bang. There was no other bang. God created all things. But what was happening in this church in Corinth is they were allowing little lies in. And so Paul, they allowed this lion of grace. At first, Paul wrote a letter. First Corinthians, this like, hey, it's okay. We, we accept you that you're sleeping with your, your stepmom. Like, that's okay. Um, we have grace for you. And that, that's, it's First Corinthians chapter five. And Paul's like, no, that's wrong. You need to, he needs, out, they, that's a mess. That, that's that's First Corinthians chapter five. Paul confronts that issue along with other issues that were happening in First Corinthians. And then we come to Second Corinthians and Paul tells us about this letter and there's all these other issues that he's having to confront. He's having to build this foundation of truth. God made all things. Nothing was made at random. And we can know this creator. That's another truth we can know. He's personal. He's real. He, he loves us and he cares for us and he desires to be known by us. That comes out of those promises that, that Paul said last week that he wants to live, dwell in us. That he desires to, to be known as our God. That he wants to welcome us. That he desires to be called Father. God is the creator and he has given us this book that we call the Bible as our guide of truth. hope, and love. And because God is Paul's anchor of truth, because God is God is Paul's anchor of love and hope, this is where we find him in his confidence to confront this issue. When it comes to difficult issues in life, the first thing that we learn from Paul when it comes to, to these issues, because we all have, there's always, there's almost always something at work, right? Or in life, or with your kids. And we can either brush it off, or we can deal with it. So the first thing that we learn when it comes to an issue, when it comes to a situation, is you have to confront the sin or confront the issue. You have to be willing to confront it. That's the first situation you come up with. Am I going to confront it, or am I going to let it go? 
Am I going to deal with it or am I going to avoid it like the latter? Am I going to do what needs to be done or am I going to ignore it and not do anything about it? Many of us, we ignore it and then it be, when it gets too big, that's when we deal with it. We yell, we erupt, we get mad, we quit, we fire, right? Isn't that what happens so many times? Instead of dealing with the issue, we get mad at whatever's happening. Isn't that so many times? Instead of just saying, hey, I don't know if you meant to do this, but that like offended me and they're like, oh, I told, I'm so sorry. I did not mean it. But instead we let it stew in our hearts. Anybody ever done that before? Who's ever let it stew? And then you get mad and it becomes a way bigger deal. Yet somehow people, I, I, love, I love people. I do. And people don't, they tend to not have a problem confronting me on much of anything. But when it comes to issues in their own life, in their own parenting, in their own anything, like they hate being confronted. They get all offended, but they want me to be an open book. So here I am. Confronting sin isn't something that Paul talks about. It's something that was learned in the Bible. David committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba, and then he killed her. her, Then he killed her husband. And his best friend Nathan said, "David, you sinned." And then we see Paul in the New Testament. Paul sees Peter, this guy who's supposed to be a leader of the church. And Peter's living a hypocritical life. He's living one one way in front of a group of Christians who are not um, Jewish people. And then he goes and lives another way in front of the Jewish people. And then he almost bashes the other group. And Paul had to decide, am I going to confront this? He's, this guy is, is more important. This guy, is, in, in some theories, he's my boss. And he confronted him. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You see, when we're willing to confront, there, there is a growth that happens. Because so many times... It's something that we probably don't want in our life. It's whether or not, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead. <laughs> I've got to stay in this point right now. Confronting sin. I'm going to give you guys seven, seven things that will help us with confronting sin. Confronting an issue. Confronting a situation. Seven things. One, look at yourself first. Look at yourself first. Look inside first. Am I confronting them or saying something about them that I'm really mad at myself? Look at yourself first. Number two, come to them with love. That's the key. Come to them with love. I, I, no, I'll show the stories in a little bit. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Anybody else's brain do that? Well, most of you probably don't communicate as much as I do. Confront at the right time. That can be hard. So many times I've seen people confront other people at the funeral. That's not the right time to confront somebody. I've literally been doing a funeral, then they, somebody stands up and they say, you know, I let a, they say words, and then they point and they say, but you. I'm like, oh gosh, now is not the right time. I'm glad you want to confront the situation, but give it like a couple weeks. 
Because when you're hurt and vulnerable and they're hurt and vulnerable, you're just mad at each other. Confront at the right time. Number four, bring up what is most important. Have you ever been in a confronting thing and all of a sudden it's like the laundry gets dumped on you instead of the main issue? Like your boss, you're late all the time and that's the main issue. And then all of a sudden your boss unleashes 50 things on you. You're like, I... I wish you would have just told me. I didn't know that me forgetting a pencil on the desk was annoying to you. I didn't know that if I didn't fill the copy machine that that was bad. I didn't know it was my job, but I'm sorry. And then they're like, and you're always late. You're like, so is the issue that I don't fill the printer? Is the issue that my pencil's there? Or is the issue that I'm always late? So when you're confronting, confront the main issue. Use God's truths, not the world's truths. Speak with confidence. That can be hard when you're confronting that we come and we dance around the issue. Has anybody ever been in that situation where you dance around the issue of what needs to be? This happens in marriage. We dance around what's really getting on our nerves and we don't want to say it because we're worried about offending. But when you know the person loves you, you should be able to receive it. When you know that they have the best in mind for you, you should be able to hear it. The last one, provide support. So if it, it's somebody you're working with, well, what can I, how can I help? What can I do better? We'll hear it and give them some, some next steps. Or if it's your spouse and they're annoying you because they never leave the cap on or I don't know, the cap for the toothpaste or they don't put the toilet seat up for you when you're going to the bathroom. Um, I mean, it's always about putting the toilet seat down. Hey, you just as able to put it up. Works both ways, just saying. <laughs> just. <laughs> I ain't scared, I ain't terrified. <clears throat> Some simple. Because I think if, if we're all willing to do this in love, it makes a healthier place all around. So as Paul says here, he is, he is speaking not to, get to condemn. He's speaking out of a heart of love. And then he says in verse 4, Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we, are, we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. I'm gonna, I want to read that verse out of the New Living real quick. Verse 5. And then I'm going to come back to verse 6. But I love verse 5. I'm not going to hit on it at all. I am just going to read it, and I'm going to let you just sort of soak it in if you want to do a study later, because I want to stay in the vein of where Paul is. But verse 5 in the New Living reads like this. We arrived in Macedonia. Remember, he came looking for Titus. There was no rest for us, because Titus wasn't there. His friend who he thought was there was not there. He says, we faced conflicts from every direction. Has anybody ever been there? Conflicts everywhere. You walk in, you maybe you walk into a job, or you walk into school, or you walk into home, your kids are fighting, your roommate's late, and all these things are happening. Conflicts in every direction. He said there's battles on the outside, and there's fears on the inside. Anybody ever been in that situation? Man, I thought that verse in the, is it, do we have it in the New Living? Or it's going to mess you up a little bit? I think it's a little later. But that verse in the New Living, I thought, man, with battles on the outside and fears on the inside, oh, that's the place where Paul's at. Battles on the outside, fears on the inside. We all deal with those. 
We deal with the outside struggles of, of work and family and all that, and then we deal with the inside struggles of insecurities, all the unknowns and all those things. We deal with those battles. I just thought that. Back to verse 6. But God, who comforts the depressed. Man, isn't that good? Some of you need that today. You just need to sit on that verse right there, underline it, highlight it, because that's where you're sitting. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while." So Paul had sent Titus to deliver this letter, and then they were planning a meeting up in Macedonia. Titus didn't show up. He doesn't know why. Finally, he runs into Titus. That, Paul tells us that in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. And then we, he's worried. He's stressed out. He, he, has, he couldn't find any rest while he's there. So then he leaves, and he goes and finds Titus. He finally hears the report that the, lever, that the letter that he had handed the letter over. And what comforted Paul was how they received criticism. Here's the hard part about when you have to confront somebody. You never know how they're going to receive it. All you know is you have to deliver it. This is not the easy part. Sometimes confronting is, the, is, for some of us, it's easy. And we don't care how they receive it. Because we haven't, one, we haven't prayed about the situation. Two, we haven't even thought, are they able to receive this criticism yet? And do I have a laundry list of things? And have I not been good at confronting? And now it's like, okay, Pastor Jer Jeremiah said I need to confront sin. So I'm going to go into work tomorrow. I'm going to talk to my coworker. And I'm going to unload on everything they've done. Probably not. Start with one thing. Because how they receive it is not up to you. It's up to them. You're just the messenger. But if you are the one being confronted, here's what you need to do. You need to check your heart. Are you humble enough to receive it, or will you defend it? If you know the other person loves you, here's the key. If you are the one being confronted, if you know the other person loves you and has the best in mind for you, you should be able to receive it with grace. Doesn't make it easy. But if you know they love you, and if you know they desire what's best for you, we should be able to receive criticism. It's not easy. It's hard. It's, it's, it's tough. You've got to humble yourself. But it all depends upon the posture of your heart. The posture of your heart determines the way you receive criticism. If your heart is proud, you probably won't receive it. If your heart is going, I need to learn, I know this person loves me, then you know what? You will receive it. Imagine if we were a church that had each other's best in mind all the time. 
and we trusted each other, and we were able to walk alongside one another in love. I, 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 I've been confronted. I've, I've been confronted by different people. Sometimes it's from what I say on stage. Um, sometimes it's something I've done. Um, I mean, my friend Sophie, she's confronted me a couple times, um, and God taught her a lot about it in some way. I don't remember. She always tells me, like, hey, but you need to hear my side of the story, what God taught me. And I'm like, I just know what God taught me, that you just like to be mean. Um, and just kidding, just kidding. No, it was good. I was confronted just a couple weeks ago by a good friend, not Sophie and somebody else. And uh, there was a situation where I was rude. I was out of place in what I said. And I just was not, it was not cool. It was, it was maybe the right words and the right thing that needed to be said, but it was in the wrong way, wrong heart, wrong situation. And so this person, he and I met, and we had this conversation. It was tough. And at first, my heart was, I didn't want to hear it at all because all I could see was his wrong. And I think we both came in ready to fight. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, that's like, just we should have had some boxing gloves, punch it out, and probably would have been better. But it actually turned out to be good because then at that point, my heart got humbled, and I was like, dang, I'm an, uh, not, I, <laughs> the first word that came to my mind was not appropriate. Um, but I was not a good person. I was not nice. But I was thankful that that person was willing to say what needed to be said. Because I don't want to be known as somebody who's not nice and not loving. I don't, I don't, that's not who I want to be. So receiving it is all dependent upon you. When your heart is postured to receive, your soul is set for repentance. Paul then says in verses 9 and 10, he says, Now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul's heart was that the letter he wrote to them wasn't that they would look bad, feel stupid, but his goal was that they would come to repentance, that they would desire to make things right. His goal was repentance of the soul, a repentant soul. That was his goal. So when it comes to dealing with the situation, doing the hard right thing, one, we've got to be willing to confront the issue, confront the sin. Two, we have to be, the, the person then who is, who is getting that confrontation, they have to be willing to receive it. Three, the goal is a repentant soul. That's the goal. The goal isn't just to point out somebody's sin. Some people, that's their goal. Have you ever met that person? Their sole goal is to point out you're wrong. It's like the teachers that have the red pen that do your that fail your, your grade. They don't help you get better. They just point out all your wrongs. Anybody ever met that teacher before? Yeah. And then you're like, I'm sorry, just I don't I'm not, I don't understand it. Instead of and I'm not saying all teachers are like this. Some teachers are really good teachers, and they want they say, hey, come in after school and let's work on it because I want you to get an A. I know you can get an A. So their goal is to, but some are not. I was just talking to a principal this week, and his, this, he had to meet with a teacher, and he said, if you don't want to teach anymore, then just leave. Yeah. 
But you see, Paul's goal was a repentant soul. That's why he wanted to confront the issue. Verse 9, there's so much found in verse 9 that's made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Sorrow that is according to the will of God. This, and this sorrow that is according to the will of God, he says, it produces a repentance without regret. Leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. His goal was sorrow to the point that would change heart. Not just to point out they're wrong. And God's the only one who can truly change a heart. A heart that sees wrong. Paul hopes for a repentance without regret. You see, when you receive Jesus and when you receive his love and then when you are in that place of understanding that this person has what's best for you and when you understand the grace of God and when you understand the hope of God and when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you understand those things and you're confronted in sin, Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's not this regret. There's not this God sitting over your head going, look at what you've done. Hey, you did this last week. Hey, don't forget it. Hey, don't forget that you did that. Don't forget it. It's not this constant reminder. If, if you have been corrected, has anybody ever been corrected before? I can do this to my kids sometimes. And I can keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I keep beating it into them as if it's still being done. And they've changed it. They've corrected it. They want to get better. But instead, I'm just like, you did that. Don't forget. And I'm just, I'm just this jerk. God doesn't do that. And Paul is saying it's, it's a sorrow, but no leading to salvation, leading to repentance without regret where God, you're able to move on because you realize you're forgiven. The New Living uses the word sorry. When you're in the will of God and somebody's confronted you in a situation, this leads to salvation, hope, and love. When you are able to repent and see your wrong in a situation, it's a heart that has Jesus on the throne. It's a heart that has received grace. It's a heart that receives forgiveness. It's a heart that's humble, that's humbled themselves, understanding that their need of a savior. It's a heart that realizes and sees that there's wrong. Now, here, here's one of the hardest situations for people to confront. It's parenting. Because our kids can do no wrong. You ever met that parent? And you're like, your kid's psycho. Your kid's the reason nobody wants to serve in children's ministry. Your kid's the reason that kids don't want to come back. Your kid's the reason why it's hard for me to teach in my class on, on Monday mornings. Your kid is the reason. But then if you tell a parent that, not my little Judah. Oh, no. If I hear something about my son Judah, I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. It's probably true. I'll talk to him. My kids are not angels in my head. 
I know they're sinners saved by grace, needing a good talking to. (laughs) But parents, can you imagine if you had a heart that's willing to receive? Because here's what's happening. When you're unwilling to receive correction even about your kid, your kid will grow up to be a little punk who cannot receive instruction at work. Because one day they're going to work for some, for you. One day these kids are going to walk into your workplace. And they're going to work for some boss who says, hey, you shouldn't do that. Hey, you can't tell me what I can and cannot do. How, where'd you learn that? My mom always had my back. Moms, I know you love your kids. But you might be the problem. It's okay if they get corrected. But you want to wanna know where the safe place is that for them to get correction? It's from you and dad. It's from you guys. And when you guys do those seven things that I said, when you do it out of love, you're not doing it out of frustration. Let me tell you, there's been so many times when I have confronted my kids out of frustration because they're bouncing the ball. Bounce, any of you have boys that bounce the ball in the house constantly, 24-7? Bounce the ball, bounce the ball, bounce the ball. And I'm like, hey, stop bouncing the ball. Hey, stop bouncing the ball. Stop bouncing the ball. And instead of just taking the ball away or dealing with the situation or getting it from a chair and say, you need to stop it right now, it bounces and bounces and bounces until what happens, dads? You blow up. I told you to stop bouncing the ball. Ah, and then you're like, was that only me? <sighs> I think part of our problem, and moms, I'm not, I'm just not picking on you on purpose because I'm, I'm just as much of a failure. Part of the problem is we don't like dealing with the situation when the situation needs to be dealt with. And so we let it keep going. Keep going. We do it with our kids, we do it at work, we do it with our coworkers, we do it with our spouses, and we don't deal with situations. If we dealt with them right away, what happens so quick is repentance. And then Paul says, the result is comfort and refreshment. But many times we don't deal with situations, so what happens is we continue to get irritated We continue to get annoyed, and our soul gets ugly. We get more frustrated, more closed off, and just like that ladder in the lobby, we avoid everything. My friend Doug, his first thought when he saw the ladder is, what do I need to do? Because he's a maintenance guy. He fixes stuff. I love that heart. Imagine if we went into every situation knowing somebody loves us and going, okay, what do I need to do, God? What do I need to do? What do you want to work on in me? And how can I love other people? As Paul closes this section, he says, for this reason we have been comforted. Because of how they received, because of their repentance, we have been comforted. And beside our comfort, we rejoice much more for the joy of Titus. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so that our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affections abound all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you all. 
how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence of you. So Paul writes this letter in hopes of repentant hearts. But he had to do the hard right thing first. He had to confront. And that's never fun. It's hard. It's hard when I've had to confront people. It's hard when I've had to confront family. It's hard when I've had to confront my kids. It's hard. When you truly love a person, it's hard. But when you truly love a person, it also feels right. Paul said, I regretted it, but then I didn't regret it, but I regretted it a little bit, but then I was glad to know that it was just quick, that you, you moved on. Because the reason why they were to move on and, and grow in it was because they had a repentant heart. They received it, they repented, and the result was comfort and refreshment. Let me tell you, when my friend had to confront me, the result was tears, comfort, and a stronger relationship. So I want to challenge you. I'm not saying go back through your list of all the things that you need to deal with. No. You're like, okay, I know 20 people that I need to confront. No, gosh. Dear Lord, no. But I know for some of you, there's some things that you need to go, you know what? Either I need to confront or somebody's already confronted me. If you need to confront, go through those seven things. Am I in the right space right now? Is it the right time? Is my heart in love? And then there were four other things. We put those, that slide back up. Take a picture of that real quick if you guys want. If you're going, okay, I need, let me do a check. Let me do a self-check. Take a picture of that. Everybody get your phone out. Don't be embarrassed. Take a phone out. Everybody, if you haven't done it yet, take a phone out. Get your phone out. Oh, this is healthy for every single person in here. This works with you school teachers who have students. This works with you who are a high school student in eighth grade or whatever you are. This, this, this is applicable to every... If you are a football player... Is my son even in here? No. This works with you just having to talk with anybody who's difficult. Do this self-check. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Confronting, I receive, I repent, I'm sorry, I comfort. But can you imagine a church? Imagine if the hundred of us in this room, imagine if we lived this way. It would change relationships. It would change marriages. It would change how we parent. It would change your work. If you're a manager, it would change how you manage if we were willing to confront, if we were willing to receive, if we had a heart to repent with the desire of comfort and refreshment. See, that's what Jesus did for us. He confronted our hearts. It's up to us whether we receive. For many of us in this room, we repented. We said, God, I, I have sinned. And for all of us who received, 
and ask forgiveness, God brings comfort. Because as he said, God comforts the depressed. He gives you hope and fills you with love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so faithful. And Lord, some of us, we might have to have a hard conversation at some point. Some of us might have to receive something and we don't even know what's coming. God, I pray that no matter what, may we walk in love. Receiving your love receiving your comfort. May we be refreshing to each other. Lord, you are the only giver of hope and peace. May we walk in your truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click that follow button and tune in next week for another great message.